When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. There's an exercise that my husband and I do called a planned freakout. So this is exactly what it sounds like. It is losing your shit before you lose your shit. And it is Ooh. basically a structured exercise, like a glorified journaling exercise, if you will, where you start to feel like, okay, li- life is getting to be a lot right now. And I feel like if it keeps going, I might very well hit a breaking point. And so you schedule time on the calendar and you sit down and you open up a journal or a notebook. And on one side of the page, you write things I hate. Other side, you write things I dislike. And you set a timer and you sort of brain dump them all in. You just go. And then you write on either a new page or under it, you write, So what the fuck am I going to do about it? And the beauty of that is, is not only does it get everything out there, but then it redirects you into being proactive, not reactive. Because if you're just brain dumping and you stop there, then what ends up happening is you end up being reactive towards that material. You start to feel heightened, you start to feel buzzy on the inside, you know, that anxiety starting to build and you start to make decisions that are to fix and to to prevent and fighting against. Mm -hmm. The beauty of the PFO is that you say, okay, so what am I going to do about it? You don't say, what am I going to do to fix it? Hey, senorita, really nice to meet you. Have some tequila and say, Margaritas is like the best name for a podcast. Thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm proud of you. That's beautiful. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders? Anorexia and bulimia. Um, Wow, thank you for saying that, Katie Couric. Nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. Kenya Moore. Before I take a shower, I would always step on scale. And I saw my daughter starting to do that. Like, she doesn't know how to even read the numbers, but yeah. she saw me doing it. Actress Melissa Joan Hart. I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I lost weight. 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole. Were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. <laughs> this is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's author, speaker, mindset set coach and women's empowerment activist, Katie Horwich. She's the host of the want cast, the women against negative talk podcast and her new book, want yourself shift self-talk and unearth the strength in who you were all along is available. Now the book offers a new approach to help you shift your negative self-talk patterns in a real lasting way that goes beyond just speaking nicely to yourself. I want to get into the book. I want to get into her story. Prepping for this interview, I've realized that Katie and I are the same. So get your seatbelt on, strap in. 
This could go anywhere. Please take two seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas episode drops. And please consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Katie Horwich. I definitely want to get into the book, but mm-hmm. I feel like we have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm a firstborn, obsessive, anxious people pleaser who struggled with eating disorders and not having self-worth. You? I mean, very much the same. <laughs> I am a older sister. It is my favorite role ever. And I... You know, I, I struggled with the body and eating related disorders and issues. But as anybody who's been through any of that knows, it's not about the body, very rarely about the eating, about the food. It's about everything else. And so I felt as if growing up, I actually had a lot of self-confidence mm. and 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 I recognized that. However, the lens that I viewed that self-confidence through, that was where the issues started to arise because, I mean, I was born in the mid 80s, which means that I am a child of the 90s. I think that we are now called the elder millennials. And that was a time in which confidence portrayed in the media, in conversations, especially amongst women, it was synonymous with narcissism or vanity. So here I was actually feeling pretty solid within myself, but then getting messages from the world that that was a bad thing. And because I I have always had what I used to think was this, uh, this stubborn part of myself, but I really now know that it was such a, a true and loving part of myself that didn't want to abandon those things and play those games. Mm-hmm. I then walked around with sort of this this dichotomy going on the entire time of you are this way, but you shouldn't be this way, but you're not willing to be another way. And that's where everything really started to get tangled up like, you know, like a necklace that you're trying to untangle and then you get really frustrated with. What a beautiful analogy. Yes. Mm-hmm. First of all, what you said, it's not really about the food. It's about like the control and I know we both struggled in college. I did not have self-worth around anything else except soccer. Like Mm -hmm. soccer was my value. Soccer was my identity. I went to college, division one soccer player, and that was my worthiness. So when I go to college and soccer didn't really work out, like I wasn't playing, I didn't really know what to do with that. So kind of on a whim, I quit soccer and I'm like, well, this is bullshit. I'm not playing. I quit not realizing how much it was wrapped up into my identity, my value, my worth. So I went into deep depression. Um, That's when bulimia started. I struggled with bulimia for 10 years, just trying to, now in hindsight, I know I was just trying to find some sort of control when everything else fell out of control. An eating disorder can definitely slip in when you're in a time of like an identity change, like a relationship ends, like my career, my soccer career ended. The only thing that I identified value with and I struggled until I turned, I would say after I had my son 37, I kind of found my self-worth and my value luckily at a time where it is okay to talk about it. Because like you said, you had confidence, but it's like, why are you bragging? Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like, who do you think exactly. you are? So <laughs> full of yourself. You're so, oh my God. Did you seriously say that out loud? Yes. So now I feel like we're finally coming into being able to say these things and 
like women walk into who they are. I feel like, I mean, you're probably a little bit younger than me. I'm for, I'll be 42. Um, I just kind of found out who I was and walking into like confidence. And for so long, I didn't have it. And it had a lot to do with self-talk and how I talked to myself. Mine main one was I'm gross. Like I would look at myself mm. and be like, you're gross. And that is what I was creating for myself. I know you, the neuro pathways in my brain would hear I'm gross all the time, but you say like self-talk isn't negative or positive. So it's kind of like what we're doing with it. Yeah. So I, I love talking about this because a lot of people, especially now with the way that social media is, they sort of think of self-talk as like this before and after equation, sort of like, again, those magazines in the nineties, eat this, not that. So say this, not that. And yes. there's actually, I, I could geek out about this for days. There's actually research that I found while I was researching the book that says two things. And I say this like right at the beginning of the book because I'm I'm so excited about it. <laughs> Number one, not everybody experiences their self-talk as words, as talk. There Ooh. are people, I know, I, I'm one of those people who has an internal monologue. You? Yes, I'm gross. Yeah. Well, I don't say that anymore, but I'd be like, oh. Yes. Mine yeah. is a monologue. It's yeah. Worse. I mean, I thought that the show Clarissa explains it all. I was like, well, this could definitely, this could be like a biographical film on my life because I felt like I was narrating things all of the time to myself. And some people don't experience that. And they actually experience their, I'm doing air quotes, their self-talk through visuals, images, feelings. Sometimes uh, I have a, a friend who's whose partner says that they experience their self-talk like a movie playing out in their brain. So first of all, there's that. I know, okay. fascinating for those of us who don't primarily at least experience that. Mm -mm. And then there's also research that says that if you are saying something to yourself when you are not feeling great, and you want to replace that not great feeling with a great feeling, and so you're going to tell yourself that other thing, it can actually do more harm than good. So there was this study that took two groups of people, one group that had positive self-esteem and one that had low self-esteem. And they had to say, and they both thought that positive affirmations or self-statements, if you will, that they were helpful and that they would help them. So they thought that already. And then when they were actually given the statements to say, and they were studied over time, what ended up happening is the people who already felt great about themselves, kept on feeling great and maybe got a little more of a boost. And the people who didn't feel great ended up feeling worse because there was a form of cognitive dissonance going on because they were like, well, I don't feel great. And now I, I feel even worse because it feels like I'm lying to myself. Yeah. And so, yeah, I describe self-talk as neither good or bad. It's information. Yes. And it's what we do with that information that informs what we do next and next and sort of the feelings about the feelings and then the feelings about the feelings about the feelings are what get us feeling a certain way, acting a certain way and really living out this story that we build for ourselves over time in these small micro moments. Yes. And not letting those micro moments pass, like be hyper curious, get in there. Like get mm -hmm. into those thoughts and really like see. And I think people just probably like, well, it'll pass. Hopefully I won't feel like this in a little bit. It's like, no, don't let it pass. Get in there. Be curious. Or it's not that bad. Yes. I'll just ignore it for now. Because then, I mean, if we're not practicing getting curious in the times that feel 
not that bad, or let's even say feel neutral, then how can we ever expect to build these new habits? Because that's really what we're doing here. And I know that you come from a fitness background also. So another similarity between us. So you know all about habit building. How can we expect to build these habits for the very first time in the moments that feel so heavy and so overwhelming? We can't, you know? Yeah. You have to do it all the time. And it's like, like you said, it's like getting that muscle to activate, like building a muscle in the gym. It's the same thing. Totally. Uh, And you can't pick up that heaviest weight right away or else not only are you probably going to hurt yourself, but you'll, you probably will get discouraged. You've got to start with the stuff that is manageable and maybe feels a little bit tough, but you're like, okay, cool. I can do this, even though it feels a little bit uncomfy. And then you progress from there. But then you get there and you feel confident in yourself, but then you want to seek connection from other people. So you feel like you have to like bash yourself and Mm -hmm. like walk down to yourself and put yourself down, self-deprecate so that you can feel connected to other women. Like no one walks up. This is funny because last night I was at cheer practice. I'm usually like, I feel like people like me, like I'm usually can go and talk to anyone. I don't know, Katie, like the cheer moms do not talk to me. They don't, they kind of just like, look at me. And I feel like I'm like in middle school again. And I'd never like, since middle school had this feeling of just like, how do you like connect with this group? Like they're not having it, but most people, like you go into it, you're not going to be like, Oh, Hey guys, look at what I did today and tell them something good. You say something self-deprecating and you try to bring yourself down so that you'll feel connected to the group. Yeah. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now back to squats and margaritas. So we feel these feelings, first of all, for a reason. You know, we have a negativity bias baked into us from, you know, the ancient days so that we could stay within our communities so that we wouldn't get get eaten by a bear in the woods. Like for survival. Exactly. Like (laughs) we're meant to feel these uncomfortable feelings. And so when people say things like, well, I want to stop feeling fear or stop feeling doubt, I actually advise to reframe that as shifting it and having Mm -hmm. a quicker turnover rate, if you will, because if we're squashing down those feelings, first of all, not only are we squashing down those feelings for the other times that we feel them where it might be extra useful, But then we're also teaching ourselves to squash down anything that feels heightened. So when people say, well, I I have a really hard time believing in myself, if those people have also been saying, I shouldn't be scared, I shouldn't feel like I don't fit in, I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't feel these ways, like, of course, that's going to be so hard. So a lot of times what we'll do, like you said, is we'll self-deprecate to relate and Yes. A lot of times we will do this in the form of what I call casual negativity. Mm-hmm. And that is the form of negativity that we actually don't give enough airtime because a lot of times we'll really only talk about these, like I said, these really heightened moments, right? 
But casual negativity is a term that I coined, Mm -hmm. and it (laughs) is the negative talk, specifically the negative self-talk, but it could be negative talk like gossip that we use without any sort of emotion attached. So Mm -hmm. as easily as we would say, the sky is blue, we would say, oh, that... uh, I, I I totally didn't deserve that. Or, oh, I feel so, like you said, gross. I feel so gross about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't believe that I got that. Why would they want me? And those things, sometimes, yes, we say them because they're conscious, heavy stories that we're carrying. But a lot of times, like you said, we actually say them so that we can get that sense of connection with other people. Because... We bond as much as we would like to think that we bond wonderfully and closely over all of the positive things in our life. Mm-mm. We are engineered to bond over the negative stuff. So that is a really easy in for a lot of stuff. So it, it makes a lot of sense when you talk about, you know, the cheer moms, an easy tactic would be to go in and start to bash yourself or self-deprecate in the name of connection in the name of fitting in, in the name of, hey, I'm just like you, you know, like, let's talk about this. I'm not so great. I don't think that I'm full of myself. I don't think that I'm better than you. Look at me. You know, it doesn't always come from this awful place. But what ends up happening is that this is a part of language learning. So I also speak about self-talk like a language. And you think of languages, you think of dialects, and you think of how you learn these and how you become fluent in them. Mm-hmm. And the way that we become fluent, I don't know, let's just take Spanish. If you want to become fluent in Spanish, you don't say, all right, well, I'm going to, I mean, I, I love Duolingo. I love that little owl. But you don't just download the apps and mm-hmm. say, all right, I'm going to practice in my head while I read this. You also have to practice out loud. Mm -hmm. You have to practice with other people. And you also can't just practice with other people out loud. You've got to practice in your head as well so that it starts to become second nature and it's believable to everybody. And you're not pausing and you're not tripping over your words. And self-talk is just like that. So when we are self-deprecating ourselves over and over in the name of fitting in, even though we don't think of it this way, and even though this is many times not our intention, that's the language that we're teaching ourselves to speak. And that language is going to come up probably when we least expect it. And I have to just jump in here. Um, I have a nonprofit for teen girls struggling with body image and self-worth. And I talk to girl moms, that language that you're speaking to yourself, she is watching you. Your daughter is learning that that's how you talk. So if you wouldn't say it to her, stop saying it to you because she's watching you. And I think moms are very careful with their language and we affirm and we, we are very like cognizant of how we talk to our daughters, but how are you talking to yourself? Because you're the model for how a woman should be. And so if you're saying that to yourself, just know that she's watching you. And if you want to say it to your daughter, don't say it to yourself. But I see like me trying to get in the cheer mom group. Like we just want to feel like we're a part of something that we belong, like we're okay. That external validation, affirmation. My love language is words of affirmation. Like keep your jewelry. I don't need a kiss, but just tell me I did a good job. Like I Mm -hmm. live for it. 
I talk about this in my book. Like I still, I I'm very confident in who I am now, but I, you, I want affirmation. And it's like me going up to the cheer moms, like I'm happy with who I am, but why does it bother me that nobody else is like saying it back to me? Like I still have that external validation. Yeah. I think that when in the book, I sort of joke that hugs are my love language um, mm-hmm. because I am, I am a hugger. And so Same. Uh, the last few years with the pandemic really started like I, I started to real I started to realize oh wow this is a big a big thing for me um, I, I have a friend Ann Hodder they're a sex educator and relationship educator and they actually wrote this book called the 18 modern love languages and oh. it is unbelievable what is, you is, say that again what is the name of it so her name is Anne Hodder, H-O-D-D-E-R, and it's the 18 modern love languages. Ooh. And it's so interesting because ever since they started doing this work, I've had this new lens that I view love languages around. And mm-hmm. I would say, and the, you know, the ones that we think of, those sort of still exist, but those are really big buckets and Sometimes we could say, okay, well, what's my one thing? I feel like I'm all of them. And, um, you know, I I would highly recommend checking out Anne's work. Uh, They really, they dive into the past of the love languages and the person who created it. It's fascinating. However, I found that while I am a love languages person, I am also a, as Anne describes it, I am a shared experience experiences Mm. person so that's you know maybe some of us would describe that in the framework of the five love languages as like quality time but it's all about having an experience that you are connected with someone with yeah and so for me it can be actually i can even feel more lonely if I am having what is supposed to be quality time with someone mm-hmm. and we're not sharing within, we're not sharing a specific experience together. Right. Um, and that is me loving experiencing what is going on and wanting to share that love, like that mm-hmm. sort of nuanced connection with someone else. And I think, really getting curious about, like you talked about, getting curious about the nuances of Mm -hmm. when we feel the feelings that we feel, whether we label them good, bad, neutral, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then double clicking into those nuances, we'll learn that we are way more complicated than an Instagram post. We are way more complicated than a thing that we scroll by on Pinterest that is telling us it's going to solve all of our problems. And thank goodness we are, because that's also what allows us to build these lives for ourselves that feel or can feel so fulfilling because they can feel so specific to who we are. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you, my loyal Squats and Margaritas listeners, if you are looking for a little extra something? Maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. 
you need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes and the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T-beauty.com and use promo code margaritas. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome. Now back to squats and margaritas. So you're doing the work and talk about the light bulb moment that you had to the want idea. Women against negative self-talk. Um, it's a podcast, your want cast. But you said the idea literally just like, like I say, my children's book like downloaded into me. It just like hit me. So I feel like we have that in common. Talk about just mm-hmm. that light bulb moment of when you got the idea for want. Yeah. So I was actually pretty young. I was... In my very, very early 20s, I believe that I had just turned 21. Mm. And this was while I was still in beginning, at least, recovery mode from my eating and body related disorders, which included everything from, you know, orthorexia to anorexic tendencies to exercise bulimia. And back then, we're talking 2007, it's like, that stuff was not talked about then. Not and at all. No, like we take for granted sometimes the robustness of the mental health conversation that we have now in, in you know, the 2020s and 2023. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was not happening. Even the term body positivity, which, you know, originated for um, people in larger bodies who were people of color, like that has sort of been co-opted and taken on by the general public. That even wasn't happening. Nothing was happening. And you isolate because you think you're the only one because no one would say it out loud. Again, Mm -hmm. that's what Blue Butterfly, my foundation is women sharing their stories to these teen girls because they think that they're in it alone. And because when you're a teenager, you want to act like you have everything together. You don't talk about it. So them coming to these retreats with women being like I or me saying like I was bulimic, I was anorexic, exercise bulimia for probably a decade. Um, If people don't know what that is, you literally like calculate how many calories you're eating and then you work it off on a cardio machine. But that nobody talks about it back then. So like how isolating Mm -hmm. 21, I was still in my mess. So that's when you got the idea. We were still kind of in it. Yeah, I was totally still like to to borrow the words that you just used. I was still in the mess of it. I was in a hotel room and I was watching TV and I saw the first Dove Real Bodies commercial. Do you remember that? I do. With all of the women the in, yeah, in the white, like underwear. like camisoles and underwear. And yep. it was women of all ages, stages of life, um, like everything. It yep. was revolutionary for the time. And I saw that and I was just like I was drawn in Aaron. I was like, I have never seen anything like this. This is incredible. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, 
I thought, well, this is basically saying I should love myself. I'm beautiful. I'm great just the way I am. What about the days when I can't believe that? Back to the believability. What about the days when I don't feel like I love myself and I look in the mirror and I don't feel like I look beautiful? Where are the conversations happening that are around that? Yep. And in that moment, I was like, I am going to do this. I am going to start up. I called it an awareness platform. Oh, no, an awareness campaign. I'm sorry, an it. awareness campaign at the time. I'm going to start up an awareness campaign and it's going to be called Want Women Against Negative Talk. And it's going to give women tips, tools, motivation and inspiration to shift their negative self-talk patterns. And thank goodness for that commercial, because I would I would bet I have not taken a survey about this, but I would bet that that commercial sparked so much for so many people, hmm? people who were looking and saying, oh, I can be that. I can do that. This is awesome. And also people like me who are like, this is so great. This is a great starting point. Let's keep going. So thank you to those people who were these revolutionaries in 2007. The issue that I came up against and you know, I am I am a, a former theater kid. Mm -hmm. So we are actually theater kids and athletes are are very, very similar. And okay. theater kids and athletes, what happens when you are a part of something, some organization, you have your t-shirts. <laughs> and so I was like, well, if I want to start something, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get t-shirts made. Yeah, and so that's what I you do. Totally. It's like, it's not official unless, unless you have the outfit to represent it. So I had a friend from, I, I think high school make the website for want. I got the t-shirts made. I sent out the email to all of the people in my life. And then it sort of fizzled out from there because I had thought of the idea that I so needed. I didn't know this at the time, but in reflecting upon it years later, when that idea came back to me, I had created what I needed, but I was not ready or able to deliver. So there was really like nothing that I could do with it. What ended up happening is between that time when I first thought of it and 2000, I'd say 14, when it started to come back to me as this thing that I wanted to explore is not only did I start to do this work of, well, how do you actually shift your self-talk in a real lasting way? I started to do that for myself. I started to get support. I was doing all of my things. And I also started to dive into, well, what do these conversations already look like? What does this actually mean beyond me and just my experience? So I think a lot of times when people can start to get into this work that does feel really personal. They can run into, I don't want to say problems, but they can, they can run into sort of speed bumps along the way because then they're faced with, okay, well, I want to be a leader. However, I don't know how to lead right now. And Imposter so, syndrome. yeah. And what ended up happening. And I think why I, ended up not developing imposter syndrome down the line is mm -hmm. I was able to be so clear about 
what I did know and so clear about what I didn't know. And I had the self-trust to be able to not only stand behind that, but to look outside of just me as, you know, Katie Horwich, this one person, this one entity to get people's support and to start to create an ecosystem of support and tips and tools and motivation for people. And so I think a lot of times when we do run into imposter syndrome, it can be because we think that we're supposed to know all of the answers. And if we don't know them, then it's a bad thing and we must not be great. And I would love to challenge that. And I think that there's strength in not having all of the answers. It's all about where you go from there. Yeah. And the trust and vulnerability that you share with your story, that's who people want to learn from. Like my imposter Mm. syndrome, I didn't have letters next to my name. It was like, who is this lady? We both, it's like, be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, We both overcame something and figured something out. And now we can't just sit on it. It's like, we want to create a platform to help the next woman out of it. Hold on. I'm going to grab my books real quick. Hold on. Yes. I'm I'm just going to be very honest about this. Um, and I got this from you. You talk about giving advice when you have an open wound versus yeah. a scar. Yeah. Girl, that was my first book. So squats. Really? Marie, look at me. Uh, I've got abs. And it was like, um, I, I was very vulnerable. I shared that I struggled with anorexia and bulimia. Um, and now I just live life with balance squats and margaritas. I found my best physical body. And it was like, you can find your best physical body, which I still stand by, by taking care of yourself and not all the restriction deprivation, honoring your hunger, hunger cues. And I made it all about the physical. And then mm-hmm. I, I did have imposter syndrome because immediately the eating disorder community came from me and was like, this woman is not healed. She uses so much fat phobic language. And I'm Mm. so defensive and I'm like, I know what an eating disorder is. I was in it. I, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't do anything like that anymore. So super defensive. Then I start doing some interviews like press for the book. And then I start having, I don't know if you're familiar with project heal, Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. I had the CEO come on my show and I was like, check me, say the thing. What am I? I don't want to trigger people. I don't want to say the wrong things. And she's like, you are satisfied now because your fat phobia has been satisfied and the way you speak is very fat phobic. It's like now that I I'm happy because I found my best physical body and you can find your best physical body. She's like, it's all about that. And I had to really go in and then be like, maybe it is like I was making everything about a physical ideal. I knew I wasn't abusing my body anymore. My goal was to show a woman that's on a treadmill seven days a week, sometimes twice a day, like me only eating salads and starving herself that you do not have to abuse your body. You can find like your physical ideal while living life with balance, squats and margaritas, enjoying your life. Nothing is off limits, embrace the balance. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. So my second book, I put some clothes on. Um, and it's like, it's a different vibe. It is a revised edition. And I say, I thought it was all about the physical. And I was finally happy because I found my physical ideal. I was writing with an open wound. Now that I have a scar and I'm out of it, I found that I went through all of that. Yes, to be able to do what I'm doing and motivating someone, but it is so much more than the physical. And I have found profound purpose. Once I created my platform, I got my show and then I created something that wasn't there. Like you did my foundation for teen girls, because there was no place for me to go. And now I created that and that's purpose and alignment. And it's not just about a physical ideal and listening to you on some podcasts, like talking about 
you were writing from an open wound. That's exactly what I was doing. And I was, I was still too close to it. I was, mm-hmm. and I was super defensive and I'm like, this is not, and I, I didn't have an eating disorder, but I was making it about the physical and like, people were trying to tell me that. And I was like, Oh no, no I don't abuse my body. I don't throw up my food. I'm healed. Right. And you I, don't what? know. Yeah. Like I know what an eating disorder is. Like, and I, I wasn't healed. I was writing from an open wound versus a scar. And I thought that was just so beautifully put because now my second book is writing with the scar. Well, I love that because also that's you staying within integrity within yourself. Right. I think it's so important for people to see people and hear people talk about things like this. And um, I don't even want to call it the course correcting, but sort of the the change in direction, the, the acknowledgement, because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's integrity in action because integrity yeah. and especially now I think, Again, not to not to just go all for social media, but I think that in the last decade, this idea of being our authentic selves all of the time has taken on this new meaning, which means we have to tell everybody everything all of the time and dive in right away. And sometimes that's just not a helpful thing to do for anybody. And so the fact that you were like, I'm being authentic and this is my intention. And then when you realized what the impact was, you were willing to say, okay, I'm going to bridge that gap because I want my intention to match the impact as much as possible. I mean, if that it's something that we're all practicing in life, right? Like none of us are going to be perfect at it. And none of us are going to be perfect because we are never going to fully know what our impact is unless we view it or unless people tell us. And when we get that information, like you said, it's not about being defensive. You know, I I meant to be this way. That that's not a valid yes. answer. Yes. And saying, okay, well, I meant it to be this way, and it wasn't this way. Yeah. So how can I get it this way? That also is work in shifting your self talk, and it's stuff like that that I I really hope, especially with this book, I hope that people can start to see as, you know, this ecosystem that they are creating within their heads and their hearts that they can explore way more often than they think. And in times when they maybe don't think that it matters because it really does. Yes. And if somebody's not there yet, you say there are four steps, Mm -hmm. like somebody, where does somebody even start? Yeah. Well, first, because I say that we can't start, like we talked with about, we can't start with the talk because the talk is symptomatic. Yeah. Got to start with the self part of the self-talk equation. So first we've got to know like why this is even important and why we should be digging in. Why do we need a sense of self? Yes. And then after we're like, cool, got it. Thumbs up. Then we go into the work of finding our self. So finding, and it's not like this search out there. I describe it as finding yourself isn't a search. It's a dig. It's unearthing who you are we're always meant to be all along. That's already in there. So I'm just helping people ask better questions. I'm not giving them answers to who they should or shouldn't be. So it's about finding yourself and that's great, but finding yourself isn't really much if you're not being yourself out in the world. Cause you want to take that Venn diagram of 
who you say you are and who you actually are out in real life. And you want to make that as close to a circle as you can. And then, um, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, ma'am. Cool. <laughs> then you're like, great, Katie, that sounds awesome. But what happens when shit hits the fan and people are knocking me off my game or I feel a certain way? Okay. Then it's about how do I stay myself yes. when life continues lifing? And then yes. at the end of that, that's when you're able to get to the point of wanting the self that you already have. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I think too, like getting, coming into myself when I was super defensive, like in this second book, I say it now. Cause I'm comfortable saying it. Like I wasn't at the point where I loved myself and I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't say it like that. Like now it's like, oh my gosh, I, I fucked up. Like, oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Like, oh, now I, I, I just have a stronger, like appreciation, self knowing like that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay. So for me to be like, yeah, I really fucked that up. You know, I can say that now before I would never like say, cause I was, I was insecure. And like, I finally found who I was at 40. You're making me think that third one staying there. Once mm-hmm. you found yourself, you are a highly sensitive person. You feel people's energy. Mm-hmm. How do you stay there? Especially in, like you're on Instagram. So you get everybody's energy and like things coming at you. Like that has to be awful. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, forget Instagram. I live in New York freaking city with <laughs> millions of other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel that all of the time. And I think that staying yourself, it first, again, you have to be solid in the other things first, because there's no way that you can sort of, I guess, stay on your self game if out loud. And when things get really hard, if you haven't been already doing that work. It's not impossible, but it's really freaking hard. And so for me, there's, I mean, there's so many things and they're all in the book or many of them are in the book. I didn't want to write a 700 page book. There will be be others. (laughs) I describe things like there's an exercise that my husband and I do called a planned freak out. So this is exactly what it sounds like. It is losing your shit before you lose your shit. And it is basically a structured exercise where um, like a glorified journaling exercise, if you will, where you start to feel like, okay, life is getting to be a lot right now. And I feel like if it keeps going, I might very well hit a breaking point. And so you schedule time on the calendar and you sit down and you open up a journal or a notebook. And on one side of the page, you write things I hate. Other side, you write things I dislike. And you set a timer and you sort of brain dump them all in. You just go. And then you write on either a new page or under it. You write, so what the fuck am I going to do about it? And the beauty of that is, is not only does it get everything out there, but then it redirects you into being proactive, not reactive. Yeah. Because if you're just brain dumping and you stop there, then what ends up happening is you end up being reactive towards that material. You start to feel heightened. You start to feel buzzy on the inside. You know, that anxiety starting to build and you start to make decisions that are to fix and to to prevent and fighting against. Mm-hmm. The beauty of the PFO is that you say, okay, so what am I going to do about it? You don't say, what am I going to do to fix it? 
And then turn another page and you do the same thing, but with the words love and like. And then after you brain dump all the things you love and like, you write, so what am I going to do about it? So now you've not only become proactive around the things that are starting to be overwhelming for you, but you've also refocused your attention on the things that actually do light you up or bring you joy. And you've started to create an action plan around those because a lot of times we only create the action plans around the things that we are not happy about, but we've got to give attention to the other stuff too. So that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do. But like what happens when you freak out and you're overwhelmed? Overwhelmed storm. And there's a storm all exactly. <laughs> I'm a mom you. and an entrepreneur. Mompreneurs live in an overwhelmed storm. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, it's funny. That was one of the longest chapters that I wrote in the book. And it, it was even longer to begin with. And I cut it down. And then I was like, you know, I can't cut this down even more because I really felt a responsibility to give people sort of a suite of tools to at least start to begin. And that's everything from scheduling like what I call white space in your day. And that could be anything from 10 to 15 minutes on your calendar where you write do nothing. Like one of my favorite pastimes is laying down and staring at the ceiling in silence. Um, My friends joke about it now that, you know, Katie's going to go home and stare at the ceiling. Do you do that too? I know. How do you turn your brain off that? I'm thinking like, I I can't just stare at the like my, let my mind just go. Like I can't, like I say, I can't meditate because I can't shut off. Do you shut your mind off or you just think about things? Oh no, I'm not, I'm not a a, like formal meditator either. That's very hard for me. And so what I do is I let my brain not shut off. I let my brain do what it's going to do and then say, okay, cool. Later. Like, this is the time that I am doing this. Like all of this is great. We'll, we'll deal with that later. You've acknowledged it's giving acknowledgement to it. Instead of just letting it go, go, go. You're not fixing it. You're not really addressing it yet, but you're kind of like, I got your, I got it. I'm acknowledging all these things. We're just not going to go there yet. Yeah. I mean, I even, I, because we are two uh, fitness people talking, I teach indoor cycling classes. I have for the last almost two decades now, which I I can't believe. And it- (laughs) You started when you were four. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But there's a phrase that I say in my classes all of the time, and it's think about it later, be in it now. We can talk about how hard this was you can, we can talk about how much you didn't like it, how much you didn't want to do it, how overwhelming it was. We will could talk about that. We'll talk about it later though. Your job is to be here now. So though that allows space for those thoughts and those feelings to arise while also giving yourself the reassurance that, yeah, I, I've got you self I, I've got your back. Like you, I hear you. It's yeah. Like she's like, not hearing. She's not doing. I, I hear right, you. Right. I hear you. And also like, you're, you're not bad for thinking those ways. Yeah. Like I hear you. Awesome. Just sort of like you would do with, I am not a parent myself, but I am a proud member of the anti club. <laughs> it's sort of like what you would do with a, a kid. Exactly. <laughs> and And I think that, you know, you wouldn't say to a toddler, 
you know, many people would not hopefully say to a toddler, like, well, don't like, like, stop talking, like, don't do this, don't do that, like, and to keep reprimanding Mm -hmm. just for them being, you know, exactly who they are and something that was actually not, not acceptable in the moment. Because I think that your mind is like, mom, it's like, mom, 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 you have to be like, I hear you, bud. It's like that. It's like, you have to acknowledge it. And yeah. let them know they're being heard. That's kind of and like let them brain. know that you are going to respond at some point yes. because otherwise they're going to be like, mom, 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 Auntie Katie, Auntie Katie, Auntie Katie, Auntie Katie. And I, if I'm like, all right, I hear you. They'll right. be like, great. And now what? Yeah. Like, when are we going to interact? And so I think a lot of times when people think of scheduling out that blank space for themselves or they hear, you know, staring at the ceiling or, you know, the, the, colloquial just just do nothing just be (laughs) i think it could be like all right great like screw you that feels really really hard but but we have this idea sort of like with you know the imposter syndrome and knowing and not knowing we have this idea that if we are supposed to be air quotes doing nothing and our brain keeps racing that we're doing nothing wrong and being able to tell ourselves like, cool, great. Hear you. I'm going to think about that later. Like this is, I have 10 minutes here. So at the end of this 10 minutes, we can ruminate as much as we (laughs) want, like have a party, like go, go freak out with no planned freak out to be seen. But not right now. That happens in 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I think that is, um, you know, if I were to just sort of cherry pick from all of the different um, suggestions that I I give people and have given people, I think that that's the most, I guess, immediate thing that people can do. And that can even look like something like I said, I I live in New York City and I ride the subway a lot, a lot of times. I am that person on the subway who is wearing their sunglasses. And that to me gives me a little bit of a physical boundary. Yeah. Against it's sort of like my um, you know, my like my superhero cape. Yeah, and <laughs> and it lets me take a second where I feel like I am I am there for me in that moment. That still means that I am going to wherever I'm going. It still means that I am, you know, maybe sometimes having a really, really busy day or other people are with me. But just that act of putting on my sunglasses or putting on my headphones, that is like a signal to myself that, all right, we're we're just going to chill for a moment. Mm-hmm. And that alone can be so useful because it's really, if we think about it, it's not often that we give ourselves that type of permission to take a breather, even in the midst of the overwhelm storm. Yeah. It's a waste of time. I'm hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. I found out through therapy. Like if things aren't happening, I'm like, oh, like I could be getting so many things done. And I'm like rushing my son down the stairs, like put your shoes on for, for what? Cause we mm-hmm. could be doing other things, but why? Like I, yeah. sometimes you just need to, like, I, I think of things if I'm not being vigilant and things aren't, I'm not accomplishing things. It's a waste of time. And I, I don't want to be that way. I'm aware of it. I'm working on it, but yes, so many tangible things there. 
Want Yourself, Shift Self-Talk and Unearth the Strength in Who You Were All Along is available now. Katie, who is this book for? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. This book is for anyone really who has ever felt that like spark inside of them and that inkling that there's something that is worth diving into and digging deep into and who wants to stand by themselves. And I also say, you know, this book is for my grandmother who passed away in 2019, because this is, you know, a lot of times people say, I I wrote the book that I wanted to have when I was younger. This is a book and really a conversation that I, I wish that not only she, but people of her generation were able to have. And so if she wasn't able to have it, and if, you know, it wasn't in sort of the cultural zeitgeist and pop culture of our grandmother's generations, then guess what? We get to be those people for future generations. We get to have those conversations now and how amazing that is. We get to be the change we wish to see in the world. Literally. Yeah, literally. We created things that weren't there that we wanted that are now going to be available to future generations. If people want more from you, where can they find you? Yeah. So like you said, they can find me in my book, Want Yourself. (laughs) They can find that book wherever books are sold. They can find me on Instagram at Katie Horwich. It's just my name. They can also find me at katiehorwich.com and they can find me at womenagainstnegativetalk.com, which is the multimedia platform, like you said, with the podcast, blog, events, resources to help people shift their self-talk in a real lasting way that is going to work for them, where they can build their own personalized toolkit. Girl, you are killing it. You are entrepreneur goals. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.